Good morning. I'm John Mark Comer here with the Bridgetown Daily for Monday, March 23rd, which in Oregon is the official start date of spring break. But not a lot of us are en route to vacation in Southern California. More likely you are locked in at home or something like that. And we're just here with a short thought from scripture or a quote or something from the life of a saint or the church calendar to begin your day. You know, there's an article that I've been thinking about, or an essay actually, that is 70 years old from C.S. Lewis at the end of World War II from 1948. The title of the article, and you're welcome to Google it and read the thing in its entirety on your own time, is called On Living in an Atomic Age. Fascinating article that a number of people have come back to over the last week. Lewis is writing after World War II, at the very beginning of the Cold War, where, you know, you're a few years after Um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and now for the first time in human history, human beings are living under the threat of a nuclear holocaust between Russia and the communists and the democratic nations to the West. And just imagine if you're living in 1948, and in particular if you're living like him in London, you just finished World War II and the Battle of Britain and the destruction of your city, and now you're living under the daily possibility or threat of a nuclear holocaust. Imagine what that would feel like. But Lewis, um, who, you know, is one of the greatest intellectuals in general of the 20th century and Christian intellectuals in particular, has just a few thoughts that are a little different than maybe how we would talk today, but I just want to read them to you. So wherever you're at, just take a seat, take a deep breath, and just listen to C.S. Lewis pastor us through our time of fear. Every time he writes about the atomic bomb, just swap out in your mind's eye the coronavirus. And it's a bit different, but there's a lot of parallels. He writes this. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb, or in our case, the coronavirus. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madame, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and ascetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering, again, his language, not mine, and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which, in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the action, the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Let me read that last line again. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, 
but they need not dominate our minds. Now, you don't have to agree with everything that he just said, and of course, a virus is very different to an atomic bomb, and there's much more to be said to stay indoors and lock yourself in, all of that. Yes, of course. But I think his basic point that this is not a new situation, this is not a novelty, that actually we're the exception to the rule because we're used to hedonism and medicine and science and technology and safety and security and long-range planning. And what something like this does is a massive disruption to the status quo. And it's a good sober reminder that we're human and we're mortal and we're frail. And one day all of us will die and we trust in Jesus that one day all of us will come back from the dead. And in the meantime, we need not live in fear. In fact, his invitation is to praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, all of that beauty. It makes me think of Martin Luther who once said that joy is an act of defiance against the powers of evil and the Satan and disease and death and chaos and economic tribulation. Joy is a way to stand up against the onslaught of evil today. And so I do think the invitation of Jesus to all of us is, as Paul said, again, writing from prison with his life under duress, to rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when it's easy, not just when you feel like it, not just when everything is going well and your plan is all in place, but always when everything is falling apart, when you're scared, when the news is dire, when you don't know what will or will not happen in weeks or months or years to come. Rejoice, choose joy, not just as a feeling, but as an act, as an act of your will and your discipleship to Jesus, as a defiance against the power of evil itself. So let's just end our time in prayer. I invite you just to take a deep breath or two. Breathe in the peace of God. Breathe out any and all anxiety or doubt or fear. Just release it over to God. Come present to your body, to what you're feeling in your body. Is there anxiety in your chest or your gut? Is there sadness in your belly? Is there grief in your heart? Just Become aware of your body. Rest into God's presence and love that is all around you, that is in you, in the depth of your being. Just find that deep center in your spirit where your spirit touches God's spirit. Just invite you to draw to mind whatever sadness you have or melancholy or fear. Just to let it come to the surface. Don't judge it. Don't ignore it, don't deny it, and don't let your mind obsess over it. Just let it come to the surface. And then as quickly as it comes up, just as quickly turn it over to Jesus. Just give it away, just release it, just let go in your inner heart over to Jesus. And receive in its place the joy of Jesus, whom some have called the most happy human being to ever live, who was, quote, anointed with the oil of joy over all his companions in the language of the Psalms and of Hebrews. Holy Spirit, come, give us your joy. Anoint us with the oil of joy more than 
most in our city, in our neighborhood, in our work, online. Not a joy that is a fake, happy, clappy, or that doesn't take seriously the gravity of the moment. A joy in spite of the gravity of the moment, not in denial of it. Give us both a radical acceptance, wisdom, caution, all of that. But God, give us your grace to rejoice in the Lord always. And Bridgetown, I end just with a benediction from the writer John, his third letter near the end of the New Testament. I turn his prayer into my own for you. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Peace to you all.